0: Matthew chapter 4 verses 17 through chapter 5 verse 2. From that time Jesus began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon who is called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, so we're in a new
1: series uh, that we're calling Manifesto, uh, and, and this encapsulates um, a lot of what Jesus has come to do in his kingdom. Uh, but as we approach this series, I, I don't want you to see it um, as a list of things that we have to do to please Jesus. Rather, this is, a, this is um, Jesus drawing awareness to what his kingdom does in and through his disciples. That's what, that's what the Sermon on the Mount uh, is about. So today I want to take some time and give you some context why Jesus gave this and and when he gave it and all that sort of stuff. Uh, So in high school, a fellow that was about 18 months older than me uh, led me to Jesus. Uh, I was playing basketball uh, and he, I was not good and so I wasn't as good as I thought I was anyway and I got cut off the team and I had to play intramural ball and this fellow that was older than me picked me up on his team and I You know, I was so devastated because I didn't make the team. Uh, But what happened was I met Jesus through that. And so this guy started to disciple me. His name was Scott. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what discipleship was. I'm not sure he did either, but it's just what happened. I started to follow him. I started to spend time with his family. I started to spend time with him. Everything he did, I did. Everything he talked about, I talked about. It was just, I was a disciple. I was a follower of him. I followed Scott as Scott followed Jesus. And uh, one, one time, his family invited me uh, on a trip, and we were going to visit some relatives. And uh, the, those relatives uh, lived a couple of hours away, and they lived on a farm. And it was this incredible farm, and, and we got to ride four-wheelers and dirt bikes and all kinds of fun stuff like that, and as we were out on the farm riding, it was just Scott and I on four-wheelers, and we, uh, we were driving, and I was just having a good time. I was just giving it everything that I could, and I ended up crashing through an electric fence. It was bad news. Uh, and so my discipler, uh, keep in mind here, my discipler uh, had a great idea. He said, hey, man, let's fix the fence. I said, let's do it, man. But I had the question, like is this fence going to shock us? It's an electric fence. It's a good question, right? And he's like, no, 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 I've got, a, I've got the perfect trick. Here's what'll happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with my four-wheeler right beside the fence. I'm gonna grab the fence, but I'm gonna grab your hand, and you're gonna stand on the ground. And so I, I... He was my disciple. I was going to follow him into whatever he asked me to do. And so I got off my four wheeler. He's like getting ready to fix the fence. He doesn't grab the wire until he grabs my hand and I'm standing on the ground. And at the time that he grabs the fence, this huge surge of electricity shakes and rattles my soul and my body. And I fall to the ground and I'm looking at the clouds. And I see Scott and he's laughing hysterically. See, he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. You see, when someone is discipling you, they've taught you the deepest truths of life in the scriptures, and they teach you a little bit about life or how not to do things in life. With Scott, lesson learned there. So, so Jesus had many followers, and time and time again, uh, we we see them uh, uh, evolve. And, and and there are those that follow him for a while. Uh, until he says something that they don't agree with, or that he does something that, that uh, they do not agree with. And uh, and those people kind of fall away. They stop following Jesus. So today, uh, we're going to call those people fans. Uh, those that are uh, more spectators than they are participants in following Jesus. Uh, and, and then those that are willing to go the further distance with Jesus, we'll call these followers. So Jesus shows us on multiple Uh, occasions that there lies a difference between the fan and the follower the crowd and the core the disciple and the mere enthusiast we see there's a there's a difference in there so my question that I want to answer today is what is it what's the difference between the follower of Jesus and the fan of Jesus so that's our aim today It's to acknowledge that it's easier uh, to be a a, a fair-weather fan of Jesus than it is to be a follower. You know, similar to how I'm a fair-weather fan of the Dallas Cowboys. I grew up loving them, but when they're they're terrible, they're not even on my radar. Instead, I sulk with the rest of you Atlanta fans. It's a lot of fun. So, the big idea of where we're going today is this. The difference in being a fan and a follower of Jesus is the distance we're willing to journey with Jesus. It's the distance that we're willing to go with Jesus. Are we willing to go into the briar patch of life with Jesus? Or is that the the time that we hit the eject button and we just kind of parachute out? How far are we willing to go with Jesus? Because the Sermon on the Mount, there's there's this really interesting place in Matthew 5, 1 and 2 where it says, Jesus was drawing this huge crowd, but as the crowd assembled, Jesus leaves the crowd, and he heads up on the hill, and he kind of carves out his disciples and brings them up to him, and then he begins to teach them the greatest sermon the world has ever heard, the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks. And so, Jesus didn't aim it at the crowd, he aimed it at his disciples. I found that very interesting, because you see these pictures and these paintings that have thousands of people listening to Jesus, but that's not what happens in the Bible. Jesus slips away from the crowd, he begins to teach his disciples. So so here's what we're looking at with Matthew 4, 17 through 5, 2. How do we keep following Jesus forever? How do we keep following Jesus forever? So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. If you've got a Bible, open it up, and uh, if you don't, it'll be on the screen. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not coming, it's here. It is coming, but it's also here. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them follow me and i will make you fishers of men jesus begins recruiting his disciples so to understand this passage you have to understand jewish culture if not it will seem ridiculous that jesus all of a sudden calls these guys and they leave their livelihood they leave their families and they follow jesus it just seems crazy and so I can stand here and preach that to you today. If you don't leave whatever you're doing and follow Jesus, then you're not a real disciple. That's not what I want to say, because that's not what the Scripture in Jewish history teaches. Instead, here's what every uh, Jewish young man would participate uh, in. You know, there would be the, the, uh, the Bet Saphir. So he would go to the synagogue as an elementary age kid. This is like elementary school. And, uh, and, and he would learn from, from, you know, 5 to 10 or something like that. Every young child would learn the entire entire Torah which are the five books of the first five books of the Old Testament the ones that Moses wrote Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy he would he would teach those they would learn those they would embody those they would encapsulate they, they would they would know those inside and out and at the end of that if you were a particularly good student you would get to go on in your schooling but not everyone did. And so some people would, would transition into apprenticeships and, and, and maybe taking up the family business in whatever age you could. But that was the end of the road for some people. They would tra- if, you, if you were good enough, you would transition uh, to, the, to the Bet Talmud, which is the house of learning and this is, the best of the best would continue, and they would begin to take up the rest of the Old Testament Scriptures, the, the law and the prophets and the wisdom literature, and they would journey through those. It's kind of like middle school for us. They would continue learning the Scriptures. Now, they're memorizing all of this. They're not yet wrestling through interpretation. They're just getting the information, and they are in school, and they are following. Uh, they're, being, they're being taught by rabbis in the synagogue. But after this is where very few got to go on. Uh, The very best of the very best could go on to Bet Midrash. Now, Bet Midrash is when a rabbi would choose you to follow him. And that's where you would Begin to pick up the teachings of that rabbi and how he interacted with the Scriptures and how his way of life was. And you would follow that rabbi into everything that you would do. And every Jewish little boy wanted to follow a rabbi. That was like the height of callings. But very few were selected by rabbis to follow them. Now Jesus... We have, we have the, the calling of Matthew in Matthew 4 here of, of Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. We have the calling of them. and Jesus, uh, to, to much to my surprise, had actually spent some time with, with Peter and Andrew before. We don't know how long exactly, maybe six months, maybe a year. And we see in John chapter 1 uh, that they were kind of secretly stalking, they were kind of ghosting Jesus, kind of walking behind him. They were following him. And Jesus turns around and he says, What are you seeking, guys? What are you seeking and they say to him rabbi uh, where are you staying jesus says this remarkable thing to them he says come and you will see jesus was open to them exploring who he was so they had this relationship before they were already following jesus kind of kind of fans of jesus but the official invitation for them to follow jesus had not had not yet occurred it hadn't occurred yet so so now pick up in matthew 4 jesus is strolling along the shores of galilee where he his early ministry was and as he's strolling along the shores he sees peter and andrew who he already knew and they were out on the sea of galilee basically the the one of the only fishing holes in israel you know there's not much water in the desert so they're fishing they're They're taking up the family business. Now, here's the key. Why were they fishing? Why were they fishing? The family business was maybe a fishing enterprise. Were they fishing because they wanted to be fishing? Who knows? Probably not. Probably not. They probably wanted to follow a rabbi, and they probably were told that they weren't good enough to follow a rabbi. They didn't have it together enough. They didn't present themselves well enough. And so they were not selected to follow a rabbi. Now these guys had the basic synagogue teaching. I don't know how far they went in Jewish schooling. But there's a saying among Jewish disciples, they're called Talmuds, that every every Jewish... You know, a little boy that wanted to follow a rabbi, wanted to follow him in such a way that the dust of the rabbi would be on him. That he would follow him so closely, not just in his teaching, but in all of life. It was this holistic discipleship experience. Now, as we look at Matthew 4, 17-19, does it read differently to you now? How do, they, how do they engage with Jesus? Even in John 1, they call him rabbi. Rabbi, we want to follow you, just like every Jewish little boy would want to follow a rabbi. But in John 15, 16, Jesus would remind them again, hey, you didn't choose me, but I chose you to go and to bear fruit. Now for us, here's where the application comes in right now. As we look at this, as we glean from this text of Jesus calling his first disciples, what do you do when you don't get the nod to follow Jesus? You don't get the call up to the big leagues to follow a rabbi, to be a part of midrash, to be a part of this teaching, to be a part of this holistic, immersion, discipleship experience. What do you do? Because the truth is for many of us, you have experienced things like I have in life where you are told by the world standards that you are not good enough. Whether you've been cut from a team whether you've not gotten to the school that you want to get into whether your family's been broken and you deeply long to have a whole family whether you didn't get the job that you you applied for and you gave your very best for we've all been told that we're not good enough and we could stuff that down and hope that it disappears Or we can face the music, we can turn and see what God has for us in that. And what I'm seeing from the Scriptures, especially with the first 12 disciples that Jesus calls, and really the disciples on thereafter in the book of Acts, is that this is a precondition to follow Jesus. You have to know that you are broken, you are messed up, that you are not enough. We see the world's message... And all of the self-help books that fill all of the bookshelves that you and I go to will tell us, if you just dress it up a little bit, if you just try this technique, maybe you'll be good enough. But Jesus answers the deeper need. We're not good enough. We are messed up. And this is exactly what he wants us to live out of. So when, they, when the scriptures say that they followed him immediately, They didn't know who he was, but it makes more sense of why they would drop those nets and follow Jesus with all that they are. had a conversation with a guy this week, and and I'm I'm becoming more aware that, that crisis and trial is not something to be avoided. It's something to embrace. I had a conversation over breakfast with a guy this week who's new to New City, and he said, man, it wasn't, I didn't meet Jesus until he was all that I had. And he told me this family tragedy that happened that was this terrible experience. And he said, i had been around Jesus for a long time, but it wasn't until he was the only one in the room with me that I actually met him. And I began to follow him. And he said, so I've been around the church for a long time, but I don't know the Bible at all. I said, that's okay, bro. What matters is that your heart is eager to follow Jesus now that's what matters the other really interesting thing is that this the 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 rabbi's teaching it would it it encapsulated his interpretation with the torah and all that kind of stuff as he would have a disciple follow him his teaching as it was encapsulated was 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 phrased uh, with one word it was called the rabbi's yoke his yoke so brandon read matthew 11 28 through 30 i'm going to look at it again. And listen to this Listen to this Scripture. Come to Me, all who labor and are heavy laden. All who are broken, all who are not good enough, come to Me, He says. Come to Me, follow Me. And I'll give you rest. Take My yoke upon you. My way of life upon you. And learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because the tradition of rabbis was to kind of have this rigorous yoke. Kind of the best of the best. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Really the only people who can come to me and take up the yoke that I have is if you're burdened and heavy laden. So if that's you in here, you're in a really, really, really good place. You are primed to follow Jesus. Jesus. We're ready to follow Jesus. Those of us in here that maybe don't really see our need of grace, we're in a more dangerous place. Because Jesus says the ones that, are, that labor and are, and are weary and heavy laden are the ones that get the rest. Not the ones who have it all together. And what our souls long for more than anything in life is rest. We long to, 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 to work and to worship and to lead from a place of rest. But you know what most of us do? We labor and we strive for rest. We say, if I just work a few more hours, fellas, then I'll get that vacation, and that rest that we really need. If I just do a little bit more, then I'll get the rest. We work for rest, but Jesus has this whole other paradigm. His yoke is so different. He says, the way I've designed you to follow is to work from a place of rest. And this is the invitation of Jesus. So my question is, have you been drifting for years? Have you been drifting as a Christian spectator? Not really following Jesus. You'll, you'll follow him until you hit a thorny patch, and then you'll kind of hit the eject button. And then maybe you'll come back later. Because what matters is how far we follow Jesus. Jesus says His message in Matthew 4.17 is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So so the the kingdom comes and it's it's not something that's bolted on. It requires this radical rebirth in our hearts to see the kingdom. This is why Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount to His disciples. What He's saying is, listen, you're going to miss the kingdom. You're going to miss it. If you just try to bolt it onto your life, you're going to miss it. Because you've been born again and you have a new DNA, and I've got to teach you my ways. You've got to take my yoke upon you or you're going to miss the whole thing altogether. Colossians 1:13 and 14 that Phil read for our call to worship. It talks about what Jesus does. What Jesus does in the heart of a disciple. This is what happens. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. This, this isn't gradual. This isn't a, you're never going to drift into the kingdom of His beloved Son. It requires a radical rebirth in our hearts and in our souls. Even in our children, those of us that are raising children up In in as as families of the covenant, children of the covenant, I'm becoming more convinced that it is so important to to help my kids see where their lives don't line up with what God is inviting them into. They're not just gonna drift into the kingdom. They, They have benefits because they are raised in the family of believers. They are raised in a church that values children and values teaching them the gospel. But they're going to have to be born again. They're going to have to be, and I long to be a part of that with you guys as we see our kids transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, in in whom we have redemption. And, And how does that redemption express itself for us? Forgiveness of sins. People that are put together and posh and proper, they don't need to be forgiven. Because they lower the standard of the law to such a level where it can be attained. Jesus says the law has come to break you, to show you that you cannot follow God without the Holy Spirit being alive inside of you. We're going to look at that in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in one of those weeks. So this, this dramatic change occurs for the follower of Jesus, and it, it's a change that permeates your life. It permeates your ethics. The way that you raise your kids, the way that you spend your money, the way that you relate to your spouse, and even the way that you work, the way that you neighbor in your neighborhood, it permeates everything because you are now a dual citizen. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you're a citizen of this earth as long as the Lord has you here. And that type of person lives differently. Next thing is this, is we've got to take up his priorities. We've got to take up his priorities. So, so par- part of what we've got to do is to seek him forever. And th- This is a priority. We see this in, in John 6, uh, verse 66, and he says, uh, this is right after Jesus has fed the 5,000. And he, be- he basically invites them uh, to take up him as the bread of life, than to just kind of enjoy a little bread, bread and fish that he feeds them with that evening. He says, listen, if you think this is good, I've got something so much better for you. But what happens as he talks to them about the bread of life? Here's what happens. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, why did they no longer walk with Jesus? They no longer walked with Jesus because they were, were getting to the heart of the kingdom. Jesus is meeting needs, and that's great. But not everyone wants to follow Jesus forever. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? You know, here's the door, basically. Not not in an arrogant or prideful way, but like, seriously, are you sure you want to follow me on this journey? Are you you sure you want to go into what we're about to go into? And Peter says, first to speak always, Lord, to whom shall we go? You want us to go back to the boat? You want us to go back to Galilee? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed. And I've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter wouldn't live this out perfectly. He would deny Jesus. As the time of trial got more difficult and more difficult. And Jesus would meet him again and restore him. And where would he restore him at? On the beach, because Peter went back to fishing. He picked up the nets again. And Jesus meets him and says, Hey, the invitation's still there. Come follow me. I love you. Seek him forever. The next thing is this, take up His mission and His method. You see, the thing is, we love the message of the Gospel. But the method of the Gospel is what we deny so many times with our lives. We say, I'm going to take the message and I'm going to do whatever I want with it. But Jesus gives us a way to live out the Gospel together as the family of God, to make disciples who make disciples forever. Jesus is saying that this is going to be different than any discipling relationship that you have ever seen before. You, know, you notice in Matthew 4, 20 and 21 here, he says, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he says this, the scriptures say this, immediately they left their nets. They, they jumped out of the boat, they left the nets there and they followed him. And going on from there around the Sea of Galilee He saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. And mending their nets, he called to them. And immediately, notice that word two times, immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. I've learned that there is no other way to follow Jesus, to be discipled and make disciples, than to obey Jesus right away. There's, there's, no, there's no other way to do it because you're not going to drift into obedience. You're not going <laughs> to—I love Tim. Have Tim in here. It's good to have you, brother. Y'all can talk to me, too, you know. That's okay. It's good. There's, you're not going to drift into it. It's not, it's not going to be something that just—it's not going to be a happenstance in your life. It's, a, it's an intentional change of direction. So here's my question for you right now. What does it look like for you this morning— to responsibly leave your net and possibly your father to follow your father in heaven? I'm not saying that means you quit your job. You leave your family. I'm not saying that. What does it mean for you to responsibly leave your net? The the thing that offers you the most comfort, the thing that you're hiding behind because of your fear of man and fear of others, what does it look like for you to leave the net that you've got your hand on to take up the kingdom of heaven and let Jesus live inside of you. What is it for you? What is it this morning that you're holding on to? It's the old you. It's the flesh. It's the places of your life that God has not yet brought you back to life in. What does it look like for you to leave your net right now and to follow Jesus? Lastly, in Matthew 4, we see Jesus... Abandon the crowd. Let's listen to this. Matthew 4.23-5.2 And He went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So His fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought Him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains and those oppressed by demons and epileptics and paralytics and He healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus brought his disciples up to begin to teach them. They were a part of this crowd, this this mass following of Jesus, and and you and I are going to be a part of of a crowd like that too, that that massly follows Jesus, until he lays down the fact that, hey, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of these things that you would never want, you would never wish upon anyone. That's what it means to be truly blessed. And so he pulls them up and he begins to to teach them these things. And he begins to teach them because we could miss the kingdom. Like the time that Jesus takes his disciples through Samaria. Forbidden land. Samaria. They're Jews. Why would they go into Samaria? And he takes them straight to this well of this woman that's basically a prostitute. And Jesus asks her to serve him some lukewarm water. Jesus then pries into her life and she becomes a follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing, we would never go to Samaria unless Jesus leads us there. You'll never go to those places unless Jesus leads you there. And he doesn't do that in the context of a crowd. We see that over and over and over and over again. So what does it look like for you to leave the crowd and to follow Jesus into the places that He wants to lead you. But lastly, I just want to close with this. How are we going to do this? How are we going to journey through this Sermon on the Mount for probably like 30 weeks if we want, want to do a good job at it? How are we going to do this? We're going to have to take up Jesus' endurance inside of us. Philippians 1.6 says this, and I am sure of this, that He began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. The same Jesus that says, follow me, is the same Jesus that says it is finished. The same same Jesus that calls us is the same Jesus that completes us. As we press into Him, and even as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we are going to be in some places where we are going to absolutely have to step into the unknown, into faith. And that is what a disciple of Jesus has to do. If everything in our life is calculated and known and sure, I can tell you we're, we're following somebody, we're just not following Jesus. Jesus is going to call us into places we've never been before. He's going to call us to people that we've never met before and that we would never spend time with apart from Jesus calling us to them. And my question is, are you ready for this? Are you ready for Jesus to call us into those places, into the thorny places, into the briar patch? Because Jesus wants to do this work in and through us. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we give thanks this morning that uh, you uh, give us a different kingdom. You give us a different narrative. You give us a different story to live out of, Father. And so we ask you, Lord, that you would give us faith. Faith to look our fears square in the eyes, Faith to walk into places that we have never been before. Faith to acknowledge the fact that maybe we're just really good Christian spectators. That the only way Jesus has really interrupted our lives is this hour and a half that we spent on Sunday mornings up until this point. But you've called us far deeper than that, Jesus. And so Lord, we ask that you would give us faith to step into the next season of what you have for us. Lord, I pray that as we walk with you, as we walk with You, that we would discover who You've made us to be. You're so pleased with Your children and so eager to build the kingdom in and through us. So give us hearts to receive. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.